0: That's our desire, that we see revival. Amen, church? And you know, in a strange way, maybe we're seeing that starting this week with the Supreme Court in the United States. That we just thank God for (laughs) what we have waited 50 years to see reversed and turned around. And many of us who have been involved in the Right to Life marches and protests for all these years wondered if ever it could take place. Uh, The year after Deb and I were married in January, the very next year, this horrible Roe v. Wade was enacted. And make no mistake, we're not over the battle yet. But we thank God for the reversal, for what has been decided by the justices in Washington, D.C. We want to pray for the states. And then we want to pray for churches that will stand up to the plate and assist women that decide to have these babies and to move forward, that we can become the testimony that Jesus Christ would have us to be. Can we pray just for a moment for our nation in that regard? Dear Heavenly Father, as we come to you this morning, we thank you for this uh, momentous decision by the Supreme Court this week. And I pray, God, that you would help the different states now as it comes to them, including the state of Ohio, that we would deal with it in a right way and move forward. You said in your word, Lord, that that you're the giver of life and that that life is something that you intend from the womb. In Psalm 139, David says, you knew me before I was formed in my mother's womb. So I pray, God, that this would be the beginning of a turnaround of some of the craziness that's happened in our country in the last decades. God, use us to be light and salt and sweet, but speak the truth in love on a regular basis. In Jesus' name. And all of God's people said? Amen. Amen. Well, I want to say hello to those that are joining us by way of radio or live stream this morning. Three sisters are watching us today, Betty and Sarah and Sally. And Sally's husband, Glenn, who physically aren't able to be with us, but I found out that they tune in on a regular basis. I want to say hello to Ruth Burcham, who is not able to be with us today. But I know Ruth and her family are able to tune in and watch also. Hey, I want you to do me a favor. Would you turn to your neighbor and say these words? If you're not dead, you're not done. (laughs) That's the first time I've seen you smile in months at the beginning (laughs) of a sermon. If you're not dead, you're not done is a great uh, little platitude or something we could put up on the wall of our lives. There is a time that you will be done. There is a time that you will go to heaven. The Bible says in the book of Acts that when David fulfilled his purpose, God's purpose for his generation, then he went to heaven. And that time will happen for you and for me. Our race is different. The timeline is different. But if you're not dead, you're not done. And the truth is, since you're not done and you're here, deep down in your heart, one of the reasons that you're here this morning is that you want to not only be a student of God's word, but you'd like to be used by God. That's why people many times go through a career, and following that career, they look for ways they can get involved in ministry because they want to feel like they're still being used by God. Many young people starting out their college career say, Lord, I want to learn this, but I want to be used by you, God. I want to know that uh, my life is counting for something towards you. But the truth of the matter is this. Many of us, most of us, perhaps all of us, Even though we want to be used by God, humanly we have our doubts. Can God really use me? Sometimes you'll just think you're not good enough. Oh no, God, use someone else. I'm not worthy. And maybe you think God can't use you because of your past things that you've done. This morning, I want you to think again, because if you're not dead, you're not done. And to prove that are some of the greatest characters we read about in all of the Bible. Listen to their imperfections, their fallacies, their flaws. Moses stuttered. (laughs) Timothy felt inadequate. John Mark was rejected by Paul. Hosea, the prophet's wife, she was a slut. She was a prostitute. Jacob was a cheat. David had an affair with another man's wife and then had the man murdered to cover the whole thing up. Solomon wasn't so smart after all. Really? 700 wives? <laughs> <laughs> Abraham lied about his wife twice, two times. David was too young. They said, Oh, no, God can't use you. You're, you're too young for that. Peter denied Jesus three times. Gideon and Thomas both doubted. Jonah ran from God. Sarah laughed at God. Uh, Peter walked on water, then he sank. Elijah struggled with depression. Esau sold his birthright. Guys, there's no bowl of chili worth selling your birthright over. Don't do that. Some of the apostles doubted the resurrection. Peter compromised the gospel. John the Baptist acted strange. Martha complained about her sister. Samson slept with a prostitute. And Noah got drunk. And the list goes on and on and on. And the question was asked over and over this way, why does God use so many characters who have serious flaws in their lives? Dr. Ray Pritchard wrote this. I loved it. He said, because that's all God has to work with. (laughs) All the perfect people are already in heaven. Will you say amen to that? And so we have the fallen, we have the flawed, we have the few that are willing to stand up for God. And the, 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 the talent pool has always been thin when it comes to moral perfection this side of eternity. From the very first couple, Adam and Eve, they, we saw how quickly they were able to fall. How the disciples that Jesus called, if you didn't know their names and you didn't see them in the Bible, none of you would have picked the 12 disciples to be the 12 disciples. Such character flaws they had in their lives. But then God chooses imperfect people. Why does he do that? So that his strength can be shown in our weakness, church. The things that we think we've really struggled with and go through a tough time with. You think God can't use you? Think again. Here's all God asks. Number one, that you have a surrendered life to him. That surrendered life comes through a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. God can't use you the way God wants to use you until you surrender your life to Jesus Christ. That's why he came to die for our sins. But once we surrender to God, once we begin to follow him, God has great plans for your life. I want to sound like Joel Osteen and Robert Schuller all bundled up in once for 30 seconds. God has a tremendous plan for your life. Unfortunately, Satan has a horrible plan for your life. And you are stuck in the middle sometimes thinking, can God really use me? Well, all God asks is that we just say, I'm available. And that's played out very clearly for us today when God calls in the story of Moses getting a call from God. Many years ago, there was a comedian and a Christian singer by the name of Jerry Jordan. If you can find it on YouTube, it's worth listening to. It's simply called a telephone call from God. And this guy is sitting in his living room watching The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. And the phone rings, and it's heaven on the other end. And the Lord just has some questions. What did you say when you got your thumb caught in the linen closet? Uh, why were you at the boat and the motor on the lake last Sunday instead of being at church last Sunday? And then he has great answers about why his neighbors are no good, and he's not going to talk about them anymore, even if they're worthless. It's just a wonderful little conversation he has with God. But God calls Moses in this situation, and it takes place on the backside of the desert. It's one of the most fun stories. It's one of the most popular stories in all of the Bible. He's at this place, Mount Horeb, which is literally part of Mount Sinai, just a a little smaller connection to it. And here's what we know by background, if you remember the story of Moses. Moses is now 80 years old. I don't want you to raise your hand, but if you're in this room and you're 80 and above, watch out. God may put a burning bush in your life because if you're not dead, you're not done. And here's Moses, 80 years old. If you want to divide biography up in Moses' life, the first 40 years of his life were in Egypt. He was not an Egyptian But he was raised by the Egyptians, by Pharaoh's household. He had all of the splendor that any young adopted son or stepson could possibly hope to have. The second 40 years was in the desert. He had 40 years of fame, and he had 40 years of obscurity. And let me say it another way, Moses is now 80 years old. He's well past his prime. He is drawing Social Security. He's learning to play pickleball and all the things that come with being 80 years old. You're coming down the home stretch Now, the truth is a lot of people never make it to 80. The average age for a man's mortality in this country is 76.8 years of age is the average age that a man dies. Sometimes something happens. There can be cancer. There can be a stroke. There can be a heart attack, COVID, a fall, an accident. Or maybe like my brother, you lie down for a nap and you never wake up. And God just takes you from here to heaven like that. It happens And yet we have here a man by the name of Moses, 80 years young, who's about to get his marching orders from God. And not only that, he's going to live, if you read the rest of the book of Exodus, for an additional 40 years. He's got quite a journey ahead of him. And almost everything that we know about Moses that's beneficial happens from age 80 forward. The the tremendous chronicle that God gives us. And when most men are slowing down, here's Moses kicking it into overdrive. And what happened in that burning bush 3,500 years ago would change world history. Let's see how it happens if you get a telephone call from God. I believe still today these four steps happen when you get a call from God. First of all, a call from God always shows up, if you write it down on the back of your worship guide, with an ordinary day. God rarely gives you in advance, I'm going to come talk to you tomorrow at 3 o'clock p.m. Dr. Smith, it's not like getting in your office where I need a three-week, three-month appointment, and if I'm 15 minutes late, I get billed and I have to come back for another appointment. And I feel much better getting that off my chest. But, But God is not going to give you forewarning of when he is going to call. It's just going to be on an ordinary day. If you want to know when God's going to show you what he wants you to do, it'll be an ordinary Sunday morning service. When you come, not expecting God to bless you, to speak to you personally, but in that moment of time, the Holy Spirit quickens and does something you're not expecting. Notice with me Moses in Exodus chapter 3. I hope you have your Bible open there and look at verse 1 if you would. It says in the NIV, Meanwhile, Moses was shepherding the flock of his father in law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Now, when you think about the Sinai Peninsula and the Sinai Desert, I want you to realize and think about a very barren place. It's something like the backside of the moon. No one wants to be there, no one wants to uh, spend time there. And Midian was a dangerous place to live if you were not prepared. The elements were not good, the heat, the predators, the lack of water could certainly quickly kill someone. And that's where Moses spent the second 40 years of his life. And everything hangs on one simple fact, and that is that God meets Moses on an ordinary day. It's not as if he got up that morning and said, oh, my whole life is about to change. At the age of 80, he had no reason to think that anything was going to change. He had every reason to believe this is my life. This is the way I'm retiring. This is the way I will die. Things are never going to be any different than this. It was just one more day in the desert with the sheep. But his life was about to take a drastic turn, guys, in a whole new direction. And he doesn't have an inkling that God is about to speak to him. And while he's taking care of the family business, God's about to change his trajectory for the rest of his life. And that leads to this point that I want you to know today, and I hope that you'll take this away. That is that 99% of your life is ordinary. I know we live for football season in the state of Ohio, right? The end of August, go Bucks! We live for that. But there are still 10 months where the Bucks don't play sometimes. And uh, the, 99% of our time is just going to be ordinary. I know there are five or six big holidays on the calendar, Christmas, 4th of July. Halloween is the second, third most spent holiday. I can't believe that. But there's a few high holidays, but, but most of them are ordinary. You say, what's ordinary? <sighs> you get up in the same bed every morning. You eat the same bowl of oatmeal. You pick up the same kids, to take them to school. You go to the same old office with the same old boss. You get off work at the same old time, fight the same old traffic. Some of you are in such a traffic jam, you see the same cars every day on Interstate 71 coming back to the suburbs. You fix that same old dinner, meatloaf on Tuesday, and you get the same old kids ready for bed. You go to sleep again, and you flop into bed. You're dead tired. You get up again so you can do it all over again. That's the way life is. You can change it a little bit, but there's this this, uh, 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 trajectory that Moses wasn't prepared for that was going to come because of his ordinary life. So the first step in discovering the will of God, are you ready for this? The first step in discovering the will of God is by doing what you already know to be the will of God in your life. It is God's will that you get the kids up and go to school and go to work and cook the meatloaf and do all the things that you do. You do those things because that's what you're supposed to do. You don't need to worry about God's will for next month, next year, or even in the next decade. Didn't Jesus say in Matthew 6, sufficient for the day is the trouble thereof? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and let him work through that. Just get up every single morning and say, Lord, what is your will for me today? I read a little prayer. The guy said, Lord, today is going to be the greatest day of my life. I'm going to accomplish super things for you. Nothing's going to get in my way, but right now I'm still in bed. I hope things go smooth the rest of the day. But you get up with that mindset. You get up and doing the will of God for today. And when you do God's will for today, you'll discover God's will for tomorrow. Whatever that may be in your life or my life. Or said another way, what do you do? while you're waiting for the bush to catch on fire and to burn. Many of us live for those mountain peak experiences so much that we miss the ordinary days when we can worship God and walk in the light as he is in the light. And, and, and want to be blessed by him. I know we look for it. We look to church service. I'm coming to a church service where we really felt God move in a special way. The Holy Spirit was on us. This was not an ordinary Sunday. And to be honest, as a pastor, I long for days like that. But I want to tell you here, he's the same God on an ordinary Sunday as he is on an emotional or a spirit Sunday that you think is really special. He is the great I am. He is present all the time. And many of us want those spectacular moments. God, show me your will. Uh, and God says, I've already shown you my will. Get up and do it. What is God's will for a student? It's to do your homework. What, what is God's will for a doctor? It is to get up and go make those rounds early in the morning. What is is God's will for a pharmacist? It's to fill those prescriptions. What is God's will for a secretary? It's to type those letters and get them out and for a banker to take care of the money and for an accountant to take care of the books and for a teacher to make those lesson plans and come to class ready to teach. What is is God's will for a salesman? To know your product, to make your contacts, go see the people, make the pitch, make the presentation. If that's what you're doing, that's God's will. If you're a young mother and you want to what god's will is it has something to do with dirty diapers now i believe it has more to do than dirty diapers but it includes dirty diapers i believe it has more than making a lesson plan for a teacher but includes making a lesson plan for a teacher it means more to a doctor than getting up early and making those rounds but it doesn't mean that you take away the importance of making those rounds so what is god's will for moses God's will for Moses was take care of those sheep, find them some water, and keep the wolves away. And so God's call came to Moses during an ordinary day. What I'm saying to you is it's great to say, Lord, show me your will. Show me your glory. Show me but in the process of waiting for God to give you, that, you that, that mountaintop eureka moment that you're faithful in what he's given you to do today. And the number one way that you know what God's will for today and tomorrow is, primarily, is found in the word of God. But I do not believe that's the only way that God speaks to us. Maybe because of our hard-headedness. The Bible says in Hebrews 1.1, in sundry times, God spoke to us in different ways. But in these days, has spoken to us through His Son, Jesus Christ. Maybe God needs to give you a burning bush experience like Moses is going to have. a, A dream because that's the only time you shut down enough for God to speak to you. But however He speaks to you, it will never contradict what He says in the Word of God. Jesus said, the heaven and earth will pass away. My word will endure forever. And so God's call came to Moses during ordinary obedience. And the same thing is true for me. And the same thing is true for you today. People say, can God speak to me today? Don't worry about God speaks to you today. He has your number on speed dial. And he's the only one you can't put on call waiting. He'll get through just very, very quickly. So here's Moses in the desert. It's been 40 long years of desert time and 40 long years of cold nights that he's there. 40 years of dirt and wind and sand and 40 years with sheep in the wilderness and 40 years looking for the next oasis that would come. I mean, just think about that, shepherding all the time. The atmosphere, have you ever been around sheep? Those little black pellets, those are not M&Ms on the ground. And he's, he's trying to lead them and stand with them and, and, and encourage have an encouraging life. So the story begins with an ordinary day. If you have lots of ordinary days, you have lots of opportunities for God to speak to you. There's a second thing in the call of God to Moses that I want you to see here. And that's not just the ordinary day, but the extraordinary bush. Would you write that down on the back? There's this extraordinary bush there right in the middle of the desert. Notice in verse 2, it says, Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire within a bush. I won't take time to develop it, but throughout Scripture, God speaks many different ways. Already in the book of Genesis, we've seen God speak to Abraham and Isaac through his voice. Here, God speaks to him. It says an angel of the Lord, which you will find this is the Lord himself. In, uh, in Isaiah chapter... Uh, Uh, 10 i think or 28 it speaks of my lord said to your lord and it speaks of god jesus being the form that god speaks to us through but it says the angel of the lord appeared to him in a flame of fire within a bush as moses looked he saw the bush was on fire but was not consumed that would get your attention wouldn't it uh, this week, we've had a lot of wind damage, and I've been trying to burn some bushes. And, and I burned all the leaves on the good trees, but that brush will not burn. I think, I think it's part of the Moses experience. It says, so Moses thought, I must go over and look at this remarkable sight. Why isn't the bush burning up? Now, please know this, that a bush in the desert isn't Extraordinary. If you watch any of the old Clint Eastwood movies, there's always that bull rush rolling across the desert and, and happening there. I'm told where our soldiers were in the Persian Gulf and in in Iraq that it's not uncommon for the temperature to get up to 115, 120, heat indexes of 130. And there may be such a thing as spontaneous combustion where these dried out bushes just explode in a burst of fire and that could happen. What is unusual is that the bush was not consumed. The fire was perhaps not that unusual, but it's what got Moses' attention that it wasn't consumed. Now, why a burning bush? I'm not sure. But in a few chapters in the book of Exodus, you'll see where God comes down with smoke and fire and trembling and the loud voice in a manifestation. It was a symbol of the glory and the power and the presence of God in that situation. And then here's just another thought about this bush. We don't know what kind of bush it was. I'm going to confess a sin to you. I wasted $19 of the church's money yesterday buying a sermon illustration. And I'm so embarrassed with it, I left it in the trunk of my car. You can see it after the service because I want you to be a good steward of your money. And I bought a burning bush. But actually, when I got it, because I got to Home Depot at five minutes till nine, and they were closing, it was a flower. (laughs) But it looks like a bush. But it came in a pot that's written real big, flowers. I thought, they'll never believe this is a bush. So that's why it's in my trunk of my car. And when I thought of a bush, I thought of like the bushes around my house, the green stuff. But that's not the kind of bushes that would be on the backside of the desert. It would be more like an acacia bush. The first time we read about an acacia bush is back in the book of Genesis, chapter 3. Do you remember when God cursed the earth and he said that cursed be the ground that will be thorns and thistles? And here God is speaking to Moses through what he cursed. Later in Matthew, we will find that Jesus Christ himself was wearing a crown of thorns, perhaps from the acacia bush. And that through the curse that was placed on the earth, Jesus made the supreme sacrifice. But regardless of whatever type of bush the bush was, God used that bush, that thorn bush in the desert. And thorns and thistles became the emblem of all the curse that was on the earth because of the sin of man. And so God can make any bush burn anytime He wants. So you say, "There's nothing left in me to burn." God can do that. Our sweet, precious Maxine DePietro had reached the age of retirement. She's in heaven today. But she got a burden to start a food ministry for homeless people in the short north. And before she died, she started a homeless ministry, a feeding ministry, that included about 60 different volunteers and ministered to scores and scores of people every single day. She thought she was finished, but if you're not dead, you're not done. And so what God was saying to Moses, what I did with this bush, I can do with you. So first, there's an ordinary day. Second, there's an extraordinary bush. There's something extraordinary that God will use. The third thing that I want you to see in this call of Moses is a personal call. God will not call you through your mother, through your family. It will be a personal call. I was doing a a, a reference check for a pastor considering another church recently. And, and the person calling me said, well, is this guy called of God? His father was a pastor, or is this just a family business? I said, well, I hope it's not a family business because God speaks in every generation to each person. Notice what it says in verse 4. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called out to him from the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am, he answered, Do not come closer, he said. Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place where you're standing is holy ground. Now, why does God say Moses' name twice, Moses, Moses? I have no idea. (laughs) But it happens in Scripture several times. You may remember in the New Testament, the Lord Jesus said, Mary, Mary. In the Old Testament, Jacob, Jacob. Here, Moses, Moses. Maybe it's a a sign of intimacy. It means something important and personal is about to be revealed to you. Do you recall at the Last Supper, Jesus is with the disciples and his eyes landed on Simon Peter in Luke 22. And he said, Simon, Simon, Satan hath desired you that he may sift your life as wheat. So when he calls his name, Moses responds by saying, here I am. When you sense the Lord speaking to your heart, that may be many different ways. He may speak to you to encourage you. Try this. Go forward. I will be with you. I will not leave you. I'll be with you in this storm, in this trial, in this test. But Moses did the right thing. The Lord said, Moses, and he said, here I am. In the Hebrew, I understand that those three words, here I am, are Hinini. And it's used over and over throughout Scripture. It was used in Scripture. It's uh, of what a, a servant says to his master. It's what a little boy says to his father. It's what every Christian should say to the Lord God. Henini, here I am. Abraham said it in Genesis 22:1. Jacob said it in Genesis 31:11. Moses says it here in Exodus chapter 3. Isaiah said it in Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 8. When the voice of the Lord came to him. But let's give Moses at least credit for responding positively. He doesn't try to hide. Now, he'll later doubt God's wisdom in calling him. Five different excuses he will give God of why he should be the reluctant person to be used by God. But he responds. And it's very important to do that because so many times we get an excuse like Moses tried to later. Not me, Lord. Use someone else. Ask someone else. How about these two? I am busy, or I'm good, God. I like it just where I'm at. I like just coming to church on Sunday morning for an hour, compartmentalizing my life, and saying that I've paid my dues. But when God calls, and God will call you personally, more so than corporately, when God calls, we need to pay attention. That's why God told Moses to take off his shoes. He said, this is holy ground, Moses. Don't take it for granted. Show some respect. Now, remember, Moses is on the backside of the desert. He's a long way from civilization, yet God met him there. He didn't meet him in the Egyptian palace. He didn't meet him in all of his royalty. But he found Moses at a time where Moses probably had given up of ever having a second chance. Do you remember that 40 years previous to this, he had murdered a man? He had already had a desire for his people, but he didn't manifest it correctly or let it play out in the right way. And now 40 years later, God's going to speak to him again, And, and he's in the backside of the desert. And in the tough stuff of life, we rarely get an advance notice of what's going to happen because if we did, the temptation would be to run in the other direction completely. I mean, just think about it for a moment. Suppose I had an envelope here, and it's from the third floor of heaven, the executive suite. And in it, on it has your name. And in it, it has everything that's going to happen in your life for the next 10 years or your family's life and everything. And you'd have the privilege to be able to open it up and look at it today. But you could not change one thing in it. Would you really want to open that envelope up and see it? Not me. In fact, I'd run in the other direction because if I knew some of the things that could happen, it may be more than I could bear humanly. That's why he never puts more on us than we're able to bear and then we're better off just living life one day at a time. There's a song written like that, one day at a time, Lord Jesus. That's all I'm asking of you. But in moments like this, it's important because that's when we discover what we really believe. i want to tell you something that may be the most important thing that I will say today. And that is we learn our theology in the sunlight, but we discover what we believe at midnight. In the darkest times of your life is where the reality of what you thought you believed is real or not. We learn on a Sunday morning like this, but it's in that backside of the desert. It's that time that you're alone, that time that you're struggling, that you'll see what you believe. And when Moses said, here am I, think about what he didn't know. He didn't know what was to come. At that point, he had no idea about Pharaoh's hardness. He had no idea about the 10 plagues that would be there. He had no idea about the difficulty in crossing the Red Sea. He had no idea about the 10 commandments that God would give him in the future. No idea about 40 more years in the desert of wandering and no idea for those things because he didn't need to know. All he needed to know was that God was speaking to him. And we want to know things so much in advance, but really we don't want to know those things. There's one final thing in this passage that I want you to see this morning. And that is after getting God's attention, uh, Moses' attention, God gives him a divine revelation. He's got his attention. Now he's giving him a divine revelation. Notice in verse 6 what it says. Then he continued, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Wow. If you were to read verse 6 all the way down to verse 10, you'll find that Moses is left out. Nothing is said about Moses till the end of verse 10. Everything from verse 6 down to 10 is all about God, which should remind us it's not about me, it's not about now, it's all about God, and it's all about eternity. Every aspect of our life, if we could remember, it's not about me. It's not about that thing I'm going through today. It's all about God. And it's all about the end result of what will happen in eternity. And in this passage, God isn't telling Moses anything about Moses. Instead, God is saying, let me tell you who I am. And some of you who are older, and I know there aren't many of you here, I want you to really listen in to these verses that God shares. He reminds Moses that he's the personal God Notice in verse 6, he, he says, I am, the, the emphasis on I, who he is. You see, the Egyptians had all kinds of gods they worshipped. The ten plague, plagues were analogous to the ten false gods that they worshipped. The frog god, the fly god, the net god, all of those different things that were there. But the God of the Bible is not like those heathen deities. He's the God who created all things. That's the God who came down to speak to Moses. And notice he's the eternal God. I am, not the present tense, not the past tense, I was, but I am. Uh, And I want to say this to encourage you who are older. Some of you are holding on because your kids are such a mess and your grandkids are such a mess. Are you listening? You think you can't die yet because who's going to take care of the family? This verse should encourage your sin sick, shriveled up soul. Because this verse says, I am the God of Abraham and Jacob and Isaac. You know what that tells me? Present tense, I am. Jesus would say it later in the Gospels. I am the I am. Is that the same God that took care of Abraham came and took care of Jacob. The same God that took care of Jacob took care of Isaac. Each generation today, some of you as grandparents and great-grandparents, and rightfully so, the world we live in, good night, I understand the challenge. But you need to go to sleep tonight knowing that the great I am is in charge and loves your grandchildren as much as you love your grandchildren. And he's going to take care of them. And when it's time for you to go to heaven, just bundle up and go on, bucko. God, God has got this thing in control. I remember when I was just a kid, a young man, Uh, They they did a picture. My family made it in the newspaper because there were five generations. And all five of these generations have grown and been godly people. My great-grandmother, Jenny Stewart, loved the Lord so much. She was a good Methodist. My grandmother, Lucy Bell, was Church of God, Anderson, Indiana. I don't know what happened there. And then my mom was Salvation Army. And then my sister was Tennessee Temple, Independent Baptist. And then her daughter, they held in their arms, five generations, has grown up to be a great worker for the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's what I want you to know. When this generation needs to go, God's got this generation. When this generation goes, God's got the next generation. And if your wife is gone in heaven today, don't you worry about that. I know humanly we grieve, but God's got this thing. And God will care to all generations. He is the eternal God, I am. Uh, 1,500 years after Moses said, uh, he said this to Moses, Jesus said, I am. Then he's the faithful God. Notice in verse 6, the God of your father. Now, all the fathers have failed. We talked about that. Abraham failed twice. Isaac lied about his wife. Jacob was a cheater. And all those boys, 12 of them, good night. Did they have a boatload of trouble? And it can shock you so much. And you say, God, is this the best you got? You know, is there anything better that can happen generation to generation? All you have to do is remember what I told you in the beginning. All the perfect people are in heaven. We are in Christ But perfection is consummated the moment we enter into glory. Uh, The truth of the matter is uh, the rest of us who are not in heaven are broken pots, clay pots that God uses so very, very much. He takes the broken, the messed up people, and he uses them, excuse me, in an amazing way. And when they fail, here's what I want you to know also. God never gives up on them, on us. He is the God of a second chance. He is the God of a fourth chance. And just in case you're wondering, he's the God of a 79th chance. God never, ever, ever gives up on us. He's the powerful God. In verse 7, he said, I have seen and heard. He's not deaf. He's not uncaring. He's the saving God. He says in verse 8, I will rescue them. Notice what the verse says. I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. That's a promise from God. And God repeats himself to make sure Moses gets the message. So in the very next verse, verse 9, he says, And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me. You ever feel like you've waited 40 years or 400 years and God hasn't heard you? But God says, I want you to know I'm hearing those prayers. The timing wasn't right even when Jesus came. It came in the fullness of time, in the fullness of perfection. It says, the cry has reached me, and I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. You say, Lord, don't you know what's happening? Don't you care what's happening? God knows what's happening. He's been in that desert with you all of that time. And finally, one great command in verse 10, he says to Moses, so now go. That's all of it. So now go. He's not asking to lead the children of Israel out. For right now, just go. He says, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. So now you just go. So I would say if there's one thing we could learn from this story. Is it for you to be used by God and blessed by God? You must come to a saving knowledge in Jesus Christ. And you do that not by joining a church or giving money, but by realizing what the Bible says. If we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, we will be saved. And once you're saved and you're seeking the will of God, is don't be impatient. Wait on God's time. You'll always like it better. Don't be like Jonah. If you do like Jonah and flee in the other direction, you have to pay your own trip. But if you wait on God, God picks up the expenses. God picks up everything. If you're in the desert right now, you be patient. If you need further guidance and what you're to do, you be faithful to the Lord. And when the guidance does come, you be obedient. And remember that God can use you. You say, well, Frank, what kind of person qualifies to be used by God? What kind of bush qualifies? Chuck Swindoll used a unique word to describe what God's looking for. He said he wants men and women who are burnable for him. Are you burnable for Jesus Christ this morning? Dr. James Dobson tells a story of a returning missionary who had obviously had a very difficult assignment. And he'd been gone for three or four decades. And when he came back, he was met. And they knew that he had not had a lot of fruit in his life. And they asked him, said, what was the difficult thing about that mission assignment that you accepted and you stayed at for all those decades and didn't see much visible fruit in every bit of that? He said, well, you know, when I first was felt the call of God to do this, I said, well, Lord, I will possibly accept this call if you promise to bless my children and protect us and prosper us. And, and the Lord said, no, I'm, I'm not into that. I'm not going to do that with you. I'm not going to make you any conditional promises. I'm just calling you to come serve. And he said, well, Lord, if you will just at least give me great success when I go, I'm not promising you anything. I'm just calling you. Will you go? And he said to them, He said, finally, I got it right with God when I did what I've put on the back of your worship guide. At the very bottom of your worship guide, you'll see sign on the X, a blank contract. And he said, Lord, I'll go where you want me to go. I'll do what you want me to do. I'll be what you want me to be. I'll sign and you fill in the blanks the way you want them.